guys this morning. So I'm going to tell you just real quickly that, um, well, first, my name is Lori, like Pastor Dan said. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I brought some provisions up here because I've been sick all week. I have a tissue. I have a cough drop. I promise I'm not going to put it in my mouth unless I have to, but I'm going to try and spare you the coughing into the microphone. I have some water. I promise that's what's in the cup. Um, so I just felt like I needed to give you some, uh, you know, just to, to say that to you. So, yeah, I'm glad you guys are here. I'm glad that I am getting to teach on this this morning. Um, Pastor Dan mentioned this morning that we are in a series called Origins. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's actually, we've kind of separated it into two different parts. The first part, um, which started at the end of October and ran through no- most of November, was our origin story. And that's where... Um, we had teachings on creation and the fall and the call and then covenant. We finished that up with covenant. And then last week, we started what we're calling kind of part two of origins, which is the origin story of Jesus. And we're going to take a look at characters, or people, in Jesus' origin story. Last week, Pastor Dan talked about Jacob. And next week, Pastor Eric is going to teach on Ruth. And then also the following week on Josiah. And this week I get to speak about Rahab. So I want to talk about for a second an origin story. Just to make sure that I was clear, I looked up the definition of origin. Just to make sure that I was on the right track. And one definition I want to give to you, a, a definition of origin, one of the definitions is it's the first stage of existence or the beginning I don't think that's surprising to any of us, but I think it's important today. So today, when we talk about Rahab, I'm going to talk about her origin story as the beginning of her story. So tell me, what's the first thing that you think about when I say Rahab? There you go. Harlot, prostitute. Me too. That's that's the thing that I think about um, when I hear her name. Like Jacob last week with his history of deception, right? This is not the kind of person that you would think would be a part of Jesus' origin story, right? To me, it's kind of surprising. You certainly wouldn't think that this is someone who would be in the royal genealogy of Jesus, like Pastor Dan said last week. These labels... Uh, identifiers, we call them today labels, that were on Rahab, prostitute, harlot. She was an innkeeper. We're going to read the start of her story today, and after the first few verses, another label that might be put on her is traitor. She betrays her king, her people, for a greater purpose. And like I said, I, I feel like this is just the beginning of Rahab's story. This is her origin story. So we're going to, you've gotten a lot of scripture already today. That's really cool, right? You're going to get some more, just so you know. (laughs) We're going to, um, and that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. We are going to read uh, almost all of Joshua too. But before we do that, if you want, you can go ahead and get your Bibles ready. We're going to read directly from Joshua too. I'm going to set the stage just a little bit for where we are in the story. So at this point, Moses has died, okay? Joshua was Moses' assistant, and he has been named by God as the leader of his people, and he has been charged with taking his people into the promised land, which is on the other side of the Jordan River, okay? 
Now, he's been charged with taking his people into the promised land. Why do you think that it's called the promised land? Because it's the land that God promised, right? So he, they know that it's going to be their land. But what I'm going to just point out here is that that doesn't mean that it is without opposition or challenge, okay? This is the point of the story that we're going to pick up in Joshua 2. The verses are going to be on the screen as well. It is, it is a lot of text, but I feel like it's important. So follow along with me. <clears throat> this is Joshua 2, starting at the very beginning. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come to your house for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax that she had laid out to dry. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road, leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know that what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when, when Jericho is conquered, You will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then when they have returned, you can go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. Now listen to this. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. And we're going to stop there. So this is the promised land. This is a part, Jericho is a part of the land that God has promised to, to his people, the Israelites. But Jericho is opposition because Jericho is land filled with people 
who have many gods, not one of them is the God of Abraham or the God of Moses or the God of Joshua. But they have to go through this land to claim this land. So right at the beginning, we learn in these verses again that Rahab is known. I mean, it, it says it right here in the text that she's a prostitute. As we hear her story, we find out that she betrays her country, like we talked about. But we also learn that she fears the Lord. She doesn't claim him as her God, at least not yet. In verse 11, it says, For the Lord your God is the supreme God of heavens above and the earth below. That's, she's clearly saying that it's not her God. She's not identif identifying him as her God. But she has faith in this God that she doesn't have a relationship with and doesn't truly know, but she knows of. She has faith that his promises will be fulfilled because when, in verse 13, when she says, when Jericho, when Jericho is conquered, she doesn't say if Jericho is conquered. She knows it's going to happen. She believes it's going to happen. This is based on what she has heard about God. Her origin story begins with who she was and how she was known, but it quickly becomes what she does next. She was known as a prostitute, but next she is instrumental in helping God's people enter and claim the land that he promised to them by helping the spies, by hiding them. Plus, she negotiates the safety of her entire clan, her entire family. She doesn't beg and plead. She trusts their word, their honor. She asks them for their protection. And she believes that they will be true to that and honor that. What this says to me is that God has redeemed everything in her past. And by redeemed, I mean he has freed her from it. He has released her from it. And he actually is now using it for her good or excuse me, for his good. When I was studying for this week, one of the things that I came across is that the fact that Rahab, how she was known as a prostitute in this town, actually became a help to the spies. Because does anybody think it would be suspicious to have men that weren't known in the, in the land come in and out of her house, given what she does? It was not surprising that was pretty good covering for these two men, right? Also, because of her position in society, her house, the text says her house was literally built into an outside wall of Jericho. Now, the walls around Jericho, there actually were two walls. They were about 10 to 15 feet apart is what, is what scholars have said. Her house was literally built between those two exterior walls which seems like would have given pretty easy access and escape to these spies, right? Again, God has taken what was and turned it into something else. Because of Rahab's faith in a God that she didn't really know but absolutely trusted, God took that past and set her on a course for a new story. So this is the point of her origin story. One of the things that I didn't realize before this week is that she, I, I knew that she was listed here, but she is one of only two women listed in the heroes of faith that are outlined in Hebrews. That's because of her great faith. 
God uses her to become literally a part of Jesus' royal line. She is David's great-great-grandmother. We've already, we already know in the text, we, in Matthew chapter 1, that there's an outline of, of Jesus' genealogy. Rahab is named there. So how does this relate to you and me? Well, first, I'll say that there have been many identifiers or labels that have been put on me, some of which by other people, most of them have been put on me by me. Uh, Maybe that's true for you, too. I heard some amens over there a little bit. (laughs) For a big part, big season of my life, you would have maybe called me Lori the Unforgiving. Maybe Lori the Selfish. If you were in the car with me last Friday when I was driving from here to the other side of Tennessee Street at 530 in the afternoon, maybe you would have said I was Lori the Impatient. And that is perhaps the kindest thing you would have said about me at that time. There are other identifiers from my past that I'm not going to mention here, but I will tell you this. They're not ones that I would have put on a resume applying for a job as a pastor at a church. But just like God was not afraid of Rahab's past, he was not afraid of mine either. And he's not afraid of yours either. Our past is absolutely and completely redeemed by what Jesus did on the cross. He has used my past, my experiences, many times in the role that I serve in here at E3. Part of my role is to meet with many of you, but a lot of the community, mostly women, who want to have or don't want to but need to have what we call hard conversations. These are conversations where they want to share with me their hurts, their pains, the hard things that they're carrying, their burdens, and oftentimes their sin that they want to confess, that they want help with. Because of my past, I can with integrity sit across from them at Red Eye and say, yeah, I know. I totally get that. I might even be able to say, yeah, me too. That's who I was too. We are all sinners. We know that. We've all been redeemed. The other thing I want to talk about today is why. We were redeemed for a purpose. As I was studying this week, I came across this quote that said, God uses people of simple faith to do great things. That has been true in my life. That has been true in your life. And it certainly was true in Rahab's life. She had a simple but great faith. It was simple because it was new. and She didn't understand it. She was exploring it and she had trust and faith. And it was significant. That's what she brought to the table. Let's go back to the text just quickly. Um, I want to look at verse 18 and talk about how Rahab saved her family. In verse 18, it says, When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. 
And all your family members, your mother, father, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. And then jump down to the 21. I accept your terms, she replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. A scarlet cord. I'm sure it was heavier than this one, but I'm grateful that Mary brought me this as an illustration. She was instructed to hang this from her window, to leave it hanging. It was, it was the way that the spies escaped her house, left her house. As I was reading that, it reminded me of another God story. A few, few chapters back in Exodus, the first Passover, when God tells his people to mark the doorways, and he says, with, with the blood of the, the sacrificed animal, and he says, this blood on the doorpost will be a sign. His people will be spared of the plague of death. He will literally pass over them. God's people, and that includes you and me, are identified and marked and then saved for a purpose. It's, we've talked about it here before. We aren't saved just for the sake of having a ticket to heaven. If that were true, if that were the only reason that Jesus came was just to make sure that we spent eternity with him, which absolutely is huge and is the, is a re, the reason that he died on the cross, that he sent Jesus to die on the cross. But if, it were, if that were the end game, if that were the only thing, why wouldn't he just pluck us from the earth right then at the moment that we make the decision to be his? Clearly, he leaves us here for a purpose. He leaves us here for a reason. We're saved for a purpose because there's work, important work to be done. And guess who is called to do it? Not just Rahab. God says what you've done in your past is not nearly as important as what I have called you to do. And when he promises and, and calls us to do something, he says, I will be with you. Not only will I go with you, but I will go before you. It's important work. He doesn't leave us alone in it. So I don't know what the purpose that you were saved for is. You have to dis discover that. You have to pray about that and discern that. But I know right now in this season what God has called me to do, and it's this. And it is despite everything in my past. So what were you saved for? What is the purpose that God has put on your life? Maybe it's not to be a part of Jesus' royal genealogy. Maybe it's not to hide spies in your house and help them conquer the land. Maybe it's not to save your family, your entire family from destruction. But maybe it is. You were saved for a purpose. We have to discover what that is. That comes through prayer. That comes through our relationship with God. That comes through our relationship with other people. That, that is inviting people into that process and into that journey and, and asking them to hold us accountable. And if you don't believe that God has a call on your life, talk to somebody about that immediately. Talk to one of the pastors. 
If God can use not only Rahab, the Bible is full of stories like this one where he chose somebody who we would say is a pretty unlikely candidate for the work that he was going to do and positions them perfectly to do exactly what he needs them to do, why would we not think he could do that with us here now? Because his work is not finished. I've asked the band to come out, and I've got some friends who are going to help me with something that I want you guys to think about as you are praying about discovering what your purpose is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that I have been at E3 since before the doors were open the first time, and I'm pretty sure that today might be the very first day we've ever had ushers in the building. So I don't know if that's cool or not, but um, it's what's happening. So the band is actually going to lead us in the song, or actually they're going to sing the song. I don't want you to sing the song. The song that we did just a few minutes ago called No Longer Slaves. But as they do that, my friends are going to pass around a basket. And in the basket is a red cord. There's one for each of you. I want you to take it, and I want you to pray about what did God save you for? I carry this with you as a reminder. Everyone has a purpose that they were called to by God, and he has equipped us to do whatever that work is. Hold this. <laughs>